Welcome, Welcome to, to the Prescriptions, Prescriptions Podcast, bringing TCM to mental health. Everybody, welcome to episode 15 of Prescriptions. Uh, today is June 26, 2020. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. And uh, yeah, let's just get right into it. So tonight's topic, I'm going to give you a little background, was inspired by something that I saw Last week, I think it was, might have been two weeks ago now, I'm losing track of time, but um, I was walking home and in downtown in Pershing Square, there was a group of people having um, a dance party protest. So they had a DJ and they were dancing and engaging with everybody in the street. When you walked up to them, they gave you this flyer that basically said, since George Floyd's death, 22 more people have been killed by police. And so you're in this receptive kind of elevated mood, and then they give you this very serious information, and it just immediately went straight to my heart, and I immediately was so appreciative of the way that they gave me that information. It allowed me to come to it from a, a place of openness and love instead of anger or fear or whatever, you know, adjective you want to put on it. But it got me thinking about, I instantly thought and I stopped and I walked up to each of them and I said, this is brilliant. And I absolutely love what you're doing and how you're giving this message. And it started me thinking and down a rabbit hole of, okay, how do we have new approaches to change? Because we're right now in this space of time where it's inevitable and everything is forcing us into change whether we want to or not. So how do we do that in a way that is fun and reaches people from that place of openness and joy where is the place that everything manifests from? Um, so let me just start with the obvious as, as healers, healers, since we don't really heal people, we guide them to heal themselves. Um, Obviously, I think we would all agree that the biggest shift that we might like to see is a shift towards preventative medicine, towards keeping people from getting sick, helping them live a healthy life and giving them the tools and all the supplies that they need to be able to do that um, spiritually, emotionally, nutritionally, energetically, uh, and away from a system that it's just another one of our broken institutions, which is our medical system <laughs> that is about broken. Now I'll give you something to get rid of the symptoms or I'll cut out what's broken and give you some replacement for that until that one goes bad. And then I'll give you another one and <laughs> do all these things to kind of keep you going artificially instead of coming from the inside out and helping you be this whole person that can just be healthy until your last breath and you die of a peaceful old age. Do you agree with that? Sounds like it. That sounds good. I would like that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I guess our charge as healers is to come up with, um, come up with 
And when I say like how we do things different, I feel like now you have to listen to the person who has that crazy idea that everyone says you can't do. Because that seems to be where the magic is. I'll give you guys an example. So uh, are you guys familiar with Killer Mike, the rapper? Yes. So I want to invite you to look at his Netflix show. And he did this really cool thing where he took gang members, the, uh, the Crips and the Bloods, and he was helping them rebrand re themselves, basically. And they made a soda and went out into the world to try to get people to, to sell this soda for them. And they did a, what are they called, those... Um, test panels where the groups, you know, taste the soda. And I can't think of the name of what they're actually called now, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And yeah. they, they do the marketing kind of survey on it. And so there are all these people and they were mostly, I think they were all white. And I think it was like three males, maybe two females, maybe only one female. And they gave them first the, because uh, first I think it was just the Crips that did it, or maybe just the Bloods, I don't know, but it's one originally. They, their thing was, oh yeah, it's a great soda, it's good soda, but that's the name of it, like Bloods, if I buy this, I could get killed. Like a Crip could kill me. And they had all the predetermined things and they didn't want to hear anything about like why was the soda made what were they trying to say anything like that so what he did then was he went and he put the crypts together with the bloods and he said hey like we're trying to do this thing what if we make a blood soda too and you guys can like sell it together and they had like an outside market where they went side by side and they made jokes with with the, the mm about are you buying crip are you buying blood but everyone was really cool and it was all full of love and everything and i it took them a while but they eventually got someone to carry you know their soda and i thought okay that is perfect because not only and, and this kind of ties into another thing I, I i wanted to tell you guys not only is it a different approach to having people see crips and bloods because crips and bloods they called themselves a street for they didn't call themselves a gang and I thought that was very empowering I was like okay they're making a really big statement with those words so it's things like this that I think we have to kind of try and brainstorm or grab our people who are able to brainstorm these things and say what is some crazy thing that is like that that is sweet and heartwarming that we can do get people to turn their sights towards preventative medicine and maybe use more natural approaches and not and also just kind of also try and find a way to ingrain ourselves in that pharmaceutically driven where people are like this is how i make my money mm -hmm. i sell them this drug i prescribe this drug and i can't make money off your herbs right but if we could get the western society to put more emphasis on prevention as well maybe become i hate the word integrated but integrated in their <laughs> systems so that we can fill that little gap 
they're still, you know, their main doctor, but we're the sidekick, we're the tonto who helps them keep that person healthy. And they get paid for people being healthy, yeah. not sick. All right. Talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. <laughs> but I love the fact that you brought up getting paid to be healthy because I saw a Twitter thread today from the CEO of Cigna, the health insurance company. And he basically was recounting his thoughts and apologizing for a known media trajectory of saying that single-payer systems, most namely the Canadian system, was faulty, that there's long waits, that it wasn't working. Basically, that, that wasn't the right way to go. And he's seen now that what he was advocating for is the exact juxtaposition to what we need in this current crisis. And the fact that other countries who are dealing with these newer systems, you know, even though they've been around for a while, but like you were saying, Didi might be seen as something wild for us, um, is really the way to go. And it was, it brought me a lot of hope because it was, even though it's after the fact and there's a lot of damage done, just the acceptance that I could have as someone who might have not disagreed with this man before, anybody else who is against the quote-unquote 1%, um, but seeing him understand and say, yes, we actually did something with our knowledge to dissuade people from believing this, and now I feel horrible about it. So the other point that you made that I think this kind of piggybacks off is bringing in these like oppositional groups you know like we talk about bridging the gap so many times in our episodes um you know we've brought up treating law enforcement before we've talked about working in um jails and prisons you know like treating inmates and treating the guards or whether it's we talked about doing the pop-up clinics and working in the affluent communities to treat the underserved so that idea of bringing polar opposites together for a common purpose, I think is a portion of what I would imagine this new wave is because everybody's sensitive right now and everyone's realizing a little bit more of their unity and their humanity because we're, wherever, wherever you stand on the whole Black Lives Matter movement, we're all in a pandemic and people can relate to each other in that sense. That's huge about the Cigna guy. I hadn't heard that. I, I feel hearing you remind me of the whole pop-up thing. Now I'm thinking, okay, yeah, that's what we have to do. But for it to be, for it to be inclusive and to make a social statement and have people learn from each other, we need to have the affluent be treated in the in the the distressed parts of town and the people who are from those parts of town be treated in the affluent parts of town and have them interact with each other. Like, you know, maybe somebody helps us out and, and you know, pulls all the patients in, gets to know that people to do that so that they get an opportunity to learn some, something from people who are not um, in their circle. 
that everybody has the same kind of diagnoses, gets the same points, or, you know, you know, everybody's damp, whether you're poor or you're rich, or, you know, everybody's yin deficient, whether you're poor or you're rich, and we teach them through their diagnoses to kind of see their similarities health-wise, but maybe have an opportunity to say, okay, so maybe this person over here is damp because they live in um, a food ghetto and all they can get is fast food. And this person is damp because they eat rich chocolate all the time, but you still have the same things happening to you internally. And you use those ideas as a way to bring together and you have them keep in touch maybe of how their treatments are so they mm. can. <clears throat> that's be, that's, that would be awesome. I like that idea. Um, so um, nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything happens and, and because uh, of other factors. And I think as human society in general, generally speaking, we exist within systems that are predicated upon like a, central attractor, let's call it a value meme. I think that's the, some of the terms that people are using to describe how society organize themselves. And each stages of society have different value memes that kind of help them organize their society from personal to the interpersonal, to the social and to the other aspects of life. And so, you know, what we're seeing today is the downfall of the system that had been predominating for, you know, the last few hundred years, the system of capitalist capitalistic um, perspective. It's about materialism, it's about production, it's about gaining wealth. So even the United States, our, our country was built on you know, the right to own property. You know, the pursuit of, of happiness really, really meant to the founders as the right to own property you know, and not to have that be taken from them. Um, and so it has played out and it's played its part well. It has created a lot of uh, new things, including the, the concept of nation states, including the rights of individuals. Uh, but I think it's time has, you know, come to a point where it's no longer in that, you know, waxing, but it's now it's waning stage. And it needs, and it's kind of pushing us to come up with something better. And since the 60s, right, we have the postmodernist movement in our universities. And these are the, you know, <laughs> let's, the hippie <laughs> of the hippie uh, persuasion, which means they are very much the opposite. They are reactionary to what the capitalists were doing. And they're like, no, we need to go inward. Let's look at ourselves. Let's see everybody as equal and everybody's voice is equal. What we have is with that is this uh, equalizing of, of, of the playing field in which every voice is given a chance to be heard. But the problem is, the postmodernists don't believe in inherent value of anything. They believe that everything is contextualized and so there is no truth. So what you have is that you have a sea of influx where everybody's voice is, is being heard, in, but the majority of the voices are like the people just having bouts of reactions. And it, mm -hmm. it kind of anybody with any good idea is kind of blocked out. You're, you're like, your voice will never be heard because it's the Kardashians that are being heard. It's these other voices that are being heard. So there is a problem with that approach. It's way too yin versus the more young stage of cultural development of the capitalist. So right now we're being forced to kind of bring a balance between those two, two poles. So those are the two leading 
parts of, of, uh, of our society are those kind of value systems that people operate in. The Wall Street people who are very much about gaining wealth and property. And then you have your you know, more progressive liberals who believe in the need to be more, um, more community oriented, to look at value system, to look at the subjective reality of human lives. But at the same time, they're not practical enough to actually do, to have any progress. And what you have is this regression within society, within our political system, where power then eventually falls into the hands of people who are young enough, but egotistic enough, and are not really operating from any high moral point of view, but are able to gain the upper hand. You know, I'm talking about our current president, for example, who does <laughs> not have a, have a high moral, moral ground, but he definitely has the the ability to implement plans to kind of play the system and get what he wants from it mainly because our we don't have the, the the people who have the moral ground are not practical enough to actually get things done and so that's my piece for now I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak and then we'll get back to more because this is a big interconnected system that needs to be addressed from a lot of perspectives Jess what do you think about all this I'm just absorbing, just listening. And um, it just reminds me of uh, this video on uh, Gaia I was watching. Uh, his name was Matthias, I forget his last name, but my friend sent it to me earlier. And it's he was talking about unity and how we're all, like he was saying that the the first dimension was the only dimension and all the other dimensions are manifestations of the source. And it's just, we've all forgotten. This is about um, like the division of where we stand as a country. We've forgotten that we all come from the same source and we're all just different manifestations of the same thing. And we all think that we're separate from each other and we're not like in my opinion um you know that ties in perfectly to something that i saw just today i wrote it down so you guys there's a Canadian uh, astronaut his name is hadfield and he's been on three space shuttle and he was talking about how going around the earth thousands of times like every time he would go to the window and they have a camera there um he would think oh i'm just gonna go look and, and then he'd be amazed by something and have to take pictures and he ended up taking i wrote it down somewhere something like three thousand pictures or something like that and made it into a book and uh he said some interesting things me read what I wrote because I it was beautiful what he said he said seeing it clearly as it is for what it is the perspective of living off the earth on uh, one and when you, he did a spacewalk and he said when you're out there the side that's facing the Sun is at 150 degrees Celsius the side that's facing the cool is at minus 140 and they both burn and said that hmm. um, 
while you're out there, you just see the earth silently turning and see it turning. And he said that um, he felt that the more clearly we see and connect with where we come from, the more we collectively are likely to make good decisions for ourselves and for where we live. Mm. And I, oh my God, he, he kept saying how fortunate he was as a human being to have been able to get that to get that perspective just the each time yeah. he went across the earth he understood that all of that was one thing that he had a responsibility to it made it clear to him how he wanted to behave toward and in his own life when he returned to the planet and i think that earlier about wanting to tie something into something that happened in Chicago on Father's Day. I don't know if you guys heard, but there were a hundred people that were shot and yeah. a three-year-old baby was killed because he was sitting in the car with his father who was presumed to be a gangbanger. Now, the initial reaction is to be mad at his gangbanger father and the person that shot him, but you take that around the world perspective you take a moment to breathe and ask yourself because he's such a beautiful child and looked very healthy, well taken care of, you know, seemed to be a fearful kid or whatever, but you have to ask yourself, okay, so what has happened because of the way our institutions are set up that made his father have to have that choice or want to have that choice? And furthermore, how do we how do we make change in the people who have become devoid of heart and shen that no difference to them? Life doesn't matter. Like, how do we give everyone that going around the world from that perspective experience so they can have enough love for themselves? Um, and, and that was like the second thing I thought after I grieved for that little kid. The second thing I thought was, how bad does a guy who shot into that car have to hate himself and his life to have no regard at all for life? Mm -hmm. And and what responsibility do we all have um, to help him? And many like him back to see himself as a worthy human and to give him the opportunity to be that. I mean, a lot of what Huang spoke to creates the environment for that to happen. But I think it comes down to attrition, you know, and adversity where as people are learning about now, even though it was knowledge before, but people had blind eyes to it. You know, what's been happening to black, indigenous, people of color is not new. Um, and so whether you talk about generational trauma or whether you talk about just the knowing of the fact that people have been going through it for so many years, it's hard, like you said, Didi, to point blame or to have guilt or to not have empathy for that situation because it wasn't like it just happened overnight. And I think truly acknowledging, as we know, acknowledgement nourishes the heart, Shen, 
people's experiences and before you were talking about kind of the tragedy of things and sticking within health but also any form of acknowledgement that we can have what about in schools where we spoke about before you know the history is written in a certain way and and a lot of what they're talking about now is educating people um, whether it's through movies and entertainment um, or through music about really what is the black American experience. But beyond that, like what is in the realms of health, what is forms of indigenous healing? What is forms of like Asian healing? What is form of African healing? What forms were there of like old pagan type healing? Like that, you know, are the curanderos and more of the Latin, like Latin stuff. Like how can we, as as a Western pharmaceutical, you know, money-based healing system, acknowledge these other ways of healing to make people value that what they know is worthwhile, like you said. And I think that is the biggest step for me is just understanding that this exists. It, ha- it has a purpose before all these other broken systems came into place. Um, and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more, but I think acknowledgement is really the place to start. It made me remember that, yeah, I not only want to treat cops, I want to treat gang members as well. (laughs) I think they're, they're really this different sides of the same coin. Yeah, the need to be heart-centered. I think we're all born with the Yuan Shen, which is the original Shen. So all children are born inherently. They're open to learn from the world. They're ready and want to participate and be co-creative with you know, society, with culture, with, with whatever environment they're born into. Uh, along the way, a lot of them don't, no longer, because of uh, developmental trauma or whatever, are no longer heart-centered living you know they're not living from their heart they're not open to that process like you were saying what inspired you about uh this conversation was the fact that you saw the people were even though they were confronting great atrocities great injustices were understanding that you can't solve a problem unless unless you are heart-centered unless you're coming from a place of joy and you're open to the creative process and you see the potentials of things and that's essentially what we need to do as individuals if we are to make a new society, is that we need to become heart-centered people. And I think that comes naturally with any kid. They're born and they're they're primed to be open to their society. Uh, The problem is that every society we have had so far since the beginning of of cultural institutions, of tribal institutions, of of bands of uh, of pillagers, you know, the the type of of society that that are epitomized by Vikings and Mongols and stuff like they you have the tribal people, which are the start of agrarian culture where they kind of work together, they live together, they kind of develop uh, cultures and customs and stuff like that. And then, and then from that, you have next stage, which includes the people who realize that you, can, you, don't have, you don't need to work, you can actually make a living by taking advantage of these people, by actually going mm-hmm. and teaching them. So that's the next stage. And that's, you know, in history, we see that with the Vikings and the Mongols. And they play their role as well. In response to these pillagers, you have the institutions of, 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 of great ideologies of what is right and wrong 
and the rising of, of religion, of major world religions, such as, just as you know, Christianity in the West, you have Buddhism and other forms of organization that brings order to this apparent chaos that is created from, from this prior stage of, of society. But that, that level of conformity, such as Catholicism, which is super conformative, lead to people to want to swing back to the young side and want to, to promote individualism again. And that's what you saw the rise of capitalism, the rise of like the belief in the individual and the belief that they can make rational decisions uh, without the, the intervention of, of traditional culture. Uh, they can make rational decisions for themselves and they can earn a uh, position in society and wealth through their own effort. And that's you know, pretty much America. You know where you can come and make a dream from your own from your own effort with and that's i know each level has its own benefit and has its own strength but at the same time it seems to be lacking and so so far as we've seen um from our history every level of society have been about opposition it's about i'm fighting this other guy it's about you and me it's about them and us, right? We're right and they're wrong. Everybody that came before us were wrong and they have nothing better to teach us. And I think that's where, you know, <laughs> we're failing. When you realize that all these systems have their own uh, lesson, their own goal to give you, their own um, importance within human survival, you realize that you should start seeing the, the good in each of the systems. Like you were saying, you look at gang members, but why are there gang members? Why are there gang cultures? They serve a purpose. You know, these are young children who needed a, like a, a, a certain idealism in life that they were not getting, you know? And then that's why they were drawn to gangs. So even things that we demonize from our perspective as, you know, uh, capitalist culture as something as bad and to be get ridden of like gang culture, we don't understand that they're providing something for their members. Yeah. And we society, yeah. some of these gangs like make sure little kids get lunch there you go. and give <laughs> money to old people in their communities and things like that, you know, which is why no one tells on them. Mm -hmm. They do things because they supply certain needs to their community in addition to just threatening and scaring them, but they also do good deeds in the <laughs> community. Yeah. And from American history, when we look at why gangs come up, it's usually because of racial prejudice. You know, the Italian gang, the Italian moms that came up because they were foreigners and you didn't, you kind of didn't allow them to, to uh, you know, participate in your society. So they had to come up with their own systems. And we see a lot of gangs with predominantly black communities because, again, the mainstream society do not let them participate fairly within the mainstream system. And so... And even in Asian culture, like the, the Japanese, for example, I'm sorry, I'm just, we just bring in a lot of a hot, hot kind of like uh, incentivizing uh, examples. But yes, the Japanese, for example, always believe that it's the Koreans and the Chinese who are super, who are gangs and bad people. <laughs> that's what happened in the society. They kind of isolate these immigrant groups into their own little neighborhoods. And of course, these gang cultures are, are there because it's, they're needed. We don't understand the function they're serving when we demonize them instead of looking at what they have to offer. And likewise, when I'm talking about cultures or systems, we, we, we need to re, reframe the way we see things. It's not or this or that, us or them, it's an and and. And it's not win or lose, it's win, win, win. It's win for me, win for you. 
everybody needs to win if we are to create a better system. And so yeah. when right now, like Jess and I were talking at the very beginning of this talk, we were very frustrated that, you know, Medi-Cal is removing acupuncture as a service. And we are saying that, okay, they're making it based up on a, a budget, you know, consideration. It's like, oh, we're running low on funds. So let's just cut out the alternative token guy. They're there just, you know, just to show that we are open-minded, but now <laughs> we need to make cuts. Let's cut them out. What they're failing to see is that because they are driven by their perspective of only seeing the validity of biomedicine, they're failing to see the, you know, the evidence in front of their eyes. If you look at what is happening right now with evidence from how the world is you know, dealing with COVID-19, for example, the Chinese are just kind of piling studies upon study and pushing it in your face that, chi that traditional Chinese medicine is very effective at treating this pandemic. You know, their own studies, their own national protocols requires that physicians prescribe traditional Chinese medicine to patients. And 91% of all cases in China were treated with traditional Chinese medicine. And here we in the United States, I know, money issue, right? 120,000 120, know, people have died in the U.S. And we have not looked for better alternatives, better approaches. It's, you know, it's terrible. This is because of this us and them kind of mentality underlying our, our, the way we see society. We don't look at the, what, other, what, what resources, what lessons other systems can teach us, but we can only see it from our own myopic view. And unfortunately, it's a systemic thing. It's very, very difficult to put out unless you know, some kind of systemic change occurs. Because this is America, honk. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the exact kind of cut in the connection to your very initial introductory statement, Didi, of prevention. You know, when you have this disinterest in connecting with the other or the unknown or the causative factor, you know, or the shadow work we brought up before, it's like that inhibits prevention and I think that inhibits collaboration so if we are continuing to come from this place of separation we'll never get to the idea of really what the prevention is because even to the point of what certain demonized things in society serve purpose or what they're talking about with defund police and how we can reallocate funds it's understanding that everything that we deem negative or incompetent or destructive in society, it didn't come out of nowhere. But if we learn from it and actually identify it and acknowledge it, we can seek to create the solutions rather than just like the war on drugs or stopping, you know, the borders in terms of immigration. So much of what we do comes from a place of fear Mm -hmm. which inhibits our will, you know, of the kidneys to make change or to have that connection to the heart. And we have this whole yin-yang imbalance, the water and fire that Huang was speaking to. So it's, I think, connecting the heart and the kidney um, to really will that new sense of joy and acceptance and contentment rather than indulgence and over excitation and being easily startled that we talk about when all that is out of balance. 
If only we could get people or get them to give us an experiment for the day where everybody had everything they needed and we could see how chill everyone is when they don't have to worry about wanting anything. Yep. Um, and how much more open space we have for each other when we're not coming from a place of competition like Hong was talking about, but just knowing that, hey, you're good, I'm good, we're all good. And it all sounds really utopic coming out of my mouth, but it's just like, it makes so much sense. It's like, if we all feel good, we all feel good. Like everyone feels good. And why wouldn't we want us all to feel good? But I think getting to your point, Sean, about the fear, I was thinking too how as an individual, because everything has to start with the individual, and we say this in almost every episode, but it's true. Um, like Hong was saying, opening up that heart-based space is your responsibility, learning how to get there, learning how to open your heart and be respective so that you see things from a place of joy. But we have been trained, whether it be by religious institutions or the media or whatever, to expect that, well, let me back up there's so much going on that you get overwhelmed as an individual and you don't know where to start so you shut down and you just accept and you wait for this almighty savior to come and fix us all the coming of the savior, when the savior is here will all be okay and that's a a false prophecy that you can hold on to to make it okay for taking action and that not action eats away and away and away and away at your shen and your kidneys and everything else because you're using up so much energy to maintain that fear and keep your space of inactivity that it becomes this like you know everyone well what do you do and it's like so if you are a brainstormer, then brainstorm. If, but I understand that we're not all brainstormers. Some of us are more followers. But the thing is, is if you're a follower, then find your brainstormer to follow. Like right now is the time that we all have to say, all right, what is it that I, that I do? What's my role? Like, what can I do? It reminds me of that, that Chinese proverb that I love so much about the, the hummingbird and the elephants where uh, the elephant walks past the hummingbird laying on its back and, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, they said the, the sky may fall down today. It's supposed to fall down today, so I'm, I'm getting ready. <laughs> the elephant laughs at him and says, those little legs, like, what are you going to do? And he says, well, I'm going to do what I can. But we all have to be laying on our backs with our, with our hands and legs up, you know, ready to hold up the sky if that's all that we could do. If you can power a crane to hold it up, then go power the crane. But if, you know, just have that mentality of I'm going to lay on my back and be ready for the world if I need to. And I'm going to do it with joy because it's my responsibility to this thing that goes around in space that I'm on. And I don't know how to get there exactly. And I don't know whether I'm in a brainstorm or follow phase, but I know that I feel the shift and I'm hoping that I find the juror to find out what my thing is. And if and when I ever pass the kale, <laughs> get to take yeah. it, then I'll feel empowered to be able to do these things. But in the meantime, I'm daydreaming about it. And 
trying try to write down whatever ideas I get. Going back to the idea of being content and just doing what you can, I think we've brought this up a little bit before, but the whole concept of essential workers um, or what you mentioned in terms of the father in Chicago or what Huang was mentioned between cultures, you know, if there's an idea for just being content with whatever portion of the cog you are in the world, that that's worthwhile and that's enough. You know, like so much of what has paused here is the rat race, the continual striving to be the best, to be the star, to be the millionaire, to be the focal point of social media. There's all this reaching, 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 creating the anxiety of, I have to be this to be worth something. You know, back to your point, Didi, where simply living like what happened to simply living as being worthwhile and whether that's in the form of education, whether that's in the form of how we monetize and value people, whether that's in the form of just how we restructure our hierarchy and the authorities in our system, it can play out in so many ways, but just coming to the fact of like every single person to Jess's point, has to be unified because the moment that one person stops cleaning this or farming that or cooking this or driving the bus, nobody can go along with their purpose. I hope that's a lesson that we've learned. I'm not sure just yet, but... I feel like the same way I felt in 2008 when things were going down and I was just like, oh, let it all fail, let it all fail, please just let it all fail, that we almost have to have a complete desolation of all of our systems and then have people say, oh, oh no, we're not going to do it this way this time as we rebuild. I don't think that, I think there's enough of the old guard still in power that, you know, whether you believe in, I don't know, Illuminati or whatever, I, the, that, that 1% of the 1% that owns the millionaire, billionaire strip in Montana, we have no idea how much power they have over everything that happens. But it's a lot. If you, if you spend any time linking the dots and finding out who actually owns what, it's the same person, the same person or company or entity owns everything that directs everything that we see and hear and are given as news and, and educated on. They're all coming from the same little group of people and that has to fail. I think that when we all unify and come together, that's when that one person or group is going to come down and that's their worst fear is us not being divided and so that's kind of where I just put my focus on there's like so much to think about but it all to me it comes down to like the divide between people and it's a manipulation in my opinion to keep things the way that they are and don't get me wrong team 
I want all that to be bulldozed as well. <laughs> um, but the practicality point too that Huang was speaking about before, that's going to take longer than what someone can do in an instant, you know? So back to our whole conversation of like how we can empower people, I think is the simple reminder of their personal power. Yes. Mm-hmm. A lot of factors and there are certain factors that affect different classes or different races or different religions more or less than others. But every single person can breathe, can smile at someone, can offer help, can be receptive to a conversation. Like the personal power and agency that we as individuals can have just living in this world, I think is under undervalued in a lot of ways. And like, it was a quote, I think it was like a Buddhist quote or something where it's like, I may not be able, the lowliest person on the planet may not be able to like provide any wisdom or provide any money or provide housing or a home, but every single person can be kind. Every single person can say hello to somebody on the street. And I think that's even going to be so key as we start opening things up again, because we've been wearing masks and we've been distanced and when we come back out in the world just showing people that like the simple wave you know or the eye contact like things that we took for granted before and how nice it is for you to make yourself feel better seeing someone else feel acknowledged and like all that can be done outside of the top one percent which creates momentum 100 yep it's, it's so hard because we're the idea of us and them this kind of polarity is so ingrained in our psyche we we might consciously consciously understand that we can't operate from it but unconsciously that is our go-to so with any sci-fi movie that tries to think of a better tomorrow they always like to bring in the aliens because the aliens play to (laughs) our need for them you know we can't be unified together unless there's no not an alien you know we have to call the alien in to kind of play out that psychological dynamic for us because we can't think of not having an us and a them that that dilemma is so ingrained and that's fundamental if we really want to save ourselves Currently, we're trying to colonize the moon. We're trying to colonize Mars because we're planning to leave this planet because it's doomed. <laughs> but the reality is that we should learn how to take care of our planet right here before we try to go somewhere else and mess that up as well. <laughs> so let's learn to be responsible as a species. We understand that we are all children of this planet, of Gaia, of our mother. So let's learn to be responsible and learn to, to, to work together we have to recognize that human lives are, are valuable, but valuable or equally valuable, but different. That in recognizing the difference, we don't think of it as something bad. We think of the difference as something that can add to the richness of our human experience. That we learn to see the value of other people's differences. And throughout these 
millennia of cultural development, we have so many examples of different ways cultures have dealt with their, their problems and their solutions they have come up with. Instead of playing this game of like, we're better than them now, we don't have to worry about anything. Like, we're the best because we're you know, at the top at the moment. We don't understand that if that's not a, a good way to do it. And if we want to really be effective and look at all of the resources available to us, and let's start looking at the goods in each of in everybody's in everybody's systems as well. And so, you know, that's going to be hard because right now, when we think about it, we still think of I need to have an enemy, and I think that's not a that's not a that's not a place that will give you a solution. To be heart centered is that right now, let's be open to the creativity. Let's be happy, and that's our starting point. Like. Like, like bringing back to what brought up this conversation in the first place. Those people knew that there was an oppressor. Clearly, there was a, a them. But they chose to say that, no, we can't solve a problem if we approach it from that dualism. We have to see that we need to approach from a place that is heart-centered, that is open to creativity, to possibility of change. And that's what they did. They were dancing, having fun, and being joyful in the moment while, while, while effectively, effectively solving a, a, a social injustice you know be hung when the aliens come and we are the them then oh, yeah. everyone will change <laughs> <laughs> something Amen. you said that made me think about the uh, it's a little bit of a, a microcosm here to you were talking about we have to learn how to take care of earth instead of looking for other places to go it made me think about like people who and this has always made me sad since i was a kid i've never really understood it who and you told us a little bit about you have to leave your own country but people leave their country to go somewhere else for a better life i always thought well how would i leave america i would stay here and fight to make america better than leave to go somewhere else. Not that I am not sympathetic and don't understand why people come here. Yeah, for sure, I get that. But I always thought, wow, like how bad does it have to be where you don't feel like you can stay and fight for the, to make the place where you were born a better place. That, that's always been one of the most heart-wrenching things to me in that it, it makes me think more about like my Aquarian utopic ideas of, uh, what if there were no borders? If there were no borders, then we would all treat every area of the earth and all the land as if it was our country. And we would feel a sense of responsibility for every piece of land on earth because we, we could go anywhere we wanted and live anywhere we wanted. Um, we've set up the earth as an us and them situation. Yeah. And I, you preface it perfectly to my point of travel Didi. i think like whether people do exchange stuff in high school you know or certain college is are requiring travel abroad like that aspect of what we're seeing with a global pandemic or globalization in terms of commerce or global globalization in terms of environmental degradation we are increasingly becoming a smaller and smaller place. And with these borders comes limitations to that change in size. So 
whether it's traveling to a place to stay there to have something better or whether it's just traveling to see how different it can be so you can be grateful for where you come because I don't think in this day and age and again I'm sympathetic as well but moving isn't always going to be the answer because you may still feel still feel the same issues you got in a new place because I think one of the things that we're realizing here in the United States of America is we don't have much figured out at all even though we've been a very like desirable place for people to move to and I think a lot of us even a few of my friends especially during Trump era have talked about leaving here because other places around the world even though maybe are not in the same place with the American dream whatever that means in terms of the ceiling being higher but the baseline needs that we've been talking about today in terms of being content and being acknowledged and just being accepted for living is guaranteed in a lot of other places, not here. And so I'm almost wondering at what point might there be an exodus, but also at the same point of what we're seeing even on the short term, we're now the ones getting banned. Like the EU is not letting Americans come in when they waking up borders and i'm sure a lot of countries will do the same because we're looking like fools out here with this spike and we deserve it we need to get spanked for once spanked yes <laughs> <laughs> we do we do need to get spanked so hard i think we are getting spanked a little bit not hard enough we need to have welts <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and wear them with pride right <laughs> imagine a place where everyone does their best like tries to be the best version of themselves and like what would the world look like then because i just i don't think that everyone looks at themselves like they have something to improve on i think we all do at all times that's true. I think George Carlin said uh, they call it the American dream because the only time you can see it is when you're asleep. <laughs> and that's so true. It's like, can you imagine if we actually created the American dream? It's never existed. It's never existed. And if we could actually, but, but I love the idea of it. And I love that Americans and people who come here cling to that dream of it and wanting it to be real and i think part of part of of getting some of that is also kind of getting people back to the place of recognizing that god is within them it's not outside like we are all god we're all a piece of god when that piece of information was flipped around on us and we were made to say no God is someone you serve and God is someone you try to impress and, and show that you're good. And you take that whole, no, I'm God. And so as a God, I have a responsibility to you and you and you who are also God. Um, you, I mean, the gods fought a lot, but I think they respected each other. <laughs> mm. I yeah. love that image. 
I don't know, guys. <laughs> yeah, the, the greatest hindrance in terms of solutions and actual real world solutions to things usually is not the problem or the lack of ability to solve a solution. A lot of the time is it's kind of a belief system, a kind of like one of the it, the hindrance, the majority hindrance are like a systemic hindrance. For, for right, right, right now, for example, in the United States, we have this disparity of the rich and, and the poor. The rich are, are becoming trillionaires for the first time in history. They're trillionaires now. And those money are just numbers on the screen. The reality of it is that how many meals can you eat in a day? You have a trillion dollars. You still eat three meals a day. Come on. You, <laughs> while most people around you are... are, are most people in the world are in poverty. So it's this sickness of we're attached to a, a, a value system that is unrealistic or the real world around us is kind of collapsing because of the, of the disparity created by the system. Likewise with, you know, for example, in the tech industry, we're seeing that technology is changing so rapidly. The age of, you know, when we were growing up, we were like having these bulky computers now like like our iPhones has everything on it, and then we have these apps that kind of changes all the time. So, so solution is not a problem. People are very innovative, and they're very good at solving problems. The problems are systemic. So when we look at this, what is happening in the tech industry versus what's happening in, let's say, the petroleum industry, where there is vested interest in the money makers, uh, you, see, you see that the combustion engine has not changed in over 100-something years. So look at your apps. It changes all the time. It updates all the time. And there's a million thousand apps. It's not the lack of ideas of, of, of technical solutions. It's just the system itself creates this hindrance to, to, to solutions. And we need, un I think part of the education is first, teaching the individual to be heart-centered. That means looking at methods to help them become heart-centered. And traditional medicine, a lot of the time, like our TCM is really good at de-traumatizing the body. If there were, for example, you know, adverse childhood experiences, which according to the study conducted by California, 67% of all Americans have at least one of these events in their lives. And as high as 12% of the US population uh, have four or more of these events. And already these comorbidity of mental health have already taxed them on their expected life expectancy so a lot of kids in America coming out of our industrial society before they pass the fifth grade have already damaged their gene to the point they have lost 20 years of life just by the time they're out of fifth grade. So yeah, there's a lot of work we can do. And I think if we get across this bias of biomedicine and start looking at solutions, there are definitely solutions. So we should start implementing them. First, get the population to be heart-centered. So not living in a fear-based or in a traumatized mode. Second, you know, learning that we should put the emphasis on solution-making, on, on finding solutions, like Jessica is saying, where people are striving to be better about themselves. And that means also applying that creativity or productivity into the social field, where they're working to solve real-world social problems and not having to worry about the petrol industry coming in and, and messing with them. And then we'll see all these problems that we are so, so-called stuck in getting solved as quickly as we are seeing it now with our iPhones updating and our apps updating because mm -hmm. there's no lack of human inventiveness. It's all there. It's just that we need to create a system that promote people to solve real-world problems. And I think right now some of us are 
dreaming of going off world, going to Mars to live because we're seeing that this planet is dying and it, it, no, we're not going to be able to survive on it. But I think that in itself is a, is, is a far off dream. The, be the better, the more, the more realistic dream is learning that we need to start living responsibly and start applying our human ingenuity to creating a more sustainable planet here on Earth. You know, to, to revitalize our own Mother Earth to help her support us as a species. TCM protest dance party at the CDC. There you go. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> or just maybe we'll just call it, uh, what are they calling alternative medicine now? It has, it has a Damn. complimentary. Complimentary. So we get like all the naturopaths, all the there's all the acupuncturists and we converge on the CDC and just wow, wow, wow. <laughs> That would be the best party ever. And we pass out like all the the studies from China and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. You gotta start that. <laughs> I'd go. Oh yeah, me too. But what you were saying, number one, is to help uh, society become heart-centered. And I think we could really help with that just by manifesting it. It's like we're individually, we're one person, but together our energies amplify and we can like, we can do so much and like share with others how powerful they are and then they get their power back and not let themselves get screwed over by the system. Maybe in the same way that they are saying, okay, you can't just be against racism, you have to be anti-racist and call people out on their stuff. We have to do the same thing every time we are in a situation where somebody's talking about a Western thing where you know there's an alternative thing that could help them. You have to speak up and you have to say, have you tried and be kind of, uh, you know, have have the ammunition where you could pull up a study or show them something or call somebody on the phone and say, tell this fool how you're feeling now, you know, <laughs> and have them tell their story or something, you know. I think uh, just trying to reach as many people as we can and having everybody who, who benefits tell someone. And, and I feel like that's one thing I'm not really good at asking for help, but that's one thing I'm going to do with my patients from this point going forward. I'm going to ask them, if you feel better, will you please tell somebody about it? Just tell somebody about your experience. That's, that's what I ask you to do. And, you know, hopefully that will, that will spread in its own kind of small way, but it's just changing minds and educating yeah. and you know maybe i'll yeah have dance parties in my clinic <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah some people are stuck they're in their ways they have this way of believing and you come in with a something different than what they believe and they think oh you're like kind of weird i don't know if i believe that but showing somebody through your experience like 
like one day you're super angry and then you got acupuncture and like over time this happened and people are like, what are you doing? I want to do what you're doing. Like, oh, I get mm-hmm. acupuncture. I work on myself, like all these little things. And then over time, like I've seen this happen with my parents. Um, I told them I wanted to go to acupuncture school and they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then, and slowly telling them things that I've learned. Now my dad gets acupuncture like once a week. Um, I never thought that was gonna happen. I'm just like, it took a lot of like, you know, shipping away. But like, cause I am so like strong in my faith of what acupuncture and not just acupuncture, but self development, personal development, thinking, trying to like change the way that you think. Um, Cause that was my problem for a long time. And yeah. Gotta get so, your dad to tell his friends. I will, I think he is, <laughs> but I'll get him to do it more. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's good, that's wonderful. So, you know, people can change. Mm-hmm. They can. They have to do it on their own because it is true you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make them drink. Yeah, you had to get into enough pain, <laughs> and then he was willing to do anything. <laughs> that happens that's, a lot. That's us, the anything practitioner. Try anything. <laughs> if it gets you here, then that's right. fine. Yeah. Right. I think when that we have to get to say, okay, like who are your family members that are healthy? Do you want them to stay healthy? Have them come see me. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So my family's us- learning that right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're here right now. Yeah, but it's so. that point acting before it gets bad. There we go. Preventative. Yes. Right on. Yeah, I think just collectively speaking, we we pain is inevitable and I think it's it's a necessary part of growing up as a as a collective, as a as a culture, because without challenges and external challenges, sometimes people don't want to change and things tend to stay the same. Uh, I think right now we're experiencing this pain as as a, a, a planet. We're undergoing the, the, the pangs of the pains of, of birth of a planetary culture where we learn that you know, we need to stop seeing the borders like Didi was saying because things that we do have, have very immediate effect on everybody else on, around the world. We need to start thinking in terms of that we're connected and we start to need to act as though we are connected because we are. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's a big shift in terms of a of a mental um, mental frame, so it's it it will take a little work. Um, I think uh, within the last fifty years since the sixties, you know the 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 postmodernists have done their part. They've been good. They've been the ones that say, oh, let's listen to these indigenous people in the Amazon. It's all cool. Everybody's is cool. So the, the hippies did their part. <laughs> they kind of opened you know, the world up and start criticizing the, the hegemony of the capitalist system. Um, and then asking people to start listening to other points of view. But I think 
in order for us to transition to the next step is actually having to implement that. We just can't be all yin and just sit and you know, do yoga and just ignore <laughs> what's going on and not making an impact, real life impact on, on society. The next part is to transition to this yang phase where we take what we have learned in terms of our appreciation for diversity, appreciation for different perspective, different ways of being and seeing that they all have things to teach us and they teach us very practical, implementable ways of solving real-world problems and start doing that in our lives. You know, look at the different medical systems. What do they offer? What can we use? Because biomedicine is not going to be a good tool for everything. And usually for these things like psychological issues, it's not very good. It's just like you, you can do surgeries, but you can't, you know, unless you have other ways of approaching it, you're not going to solve a lot of people's, you know, deep-rooted issues. So that's just one example of what we can learn from other cultures. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a difficult time for sure, a very uncertain time. But if we're able to stay heart-centered, you know, like, like Sean and I did this class where we learned about the, the you, you process, mm. you know, where they teach us to be comfortable within the unknown. Like you, you were doing things that you think are really ridiculous. Like we were, we were doing mind movements. That was like really funny, but it was teaching us to be comfortable by being silly. Like sometimes you, you, you're, you don't know what you're doing because you're yeah. just being in the moment and responding to how the other people are responding. And that's really difficult sometimes because you want to think that you know what you're doing, but the real creativity comes when you are heart centered and kind of like let that creative flow through you because that's the, the you know the, the the true child that can the the, the 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 inner child that we were born with the heart-centered child is born to this world very open-hearted it's open to creative solution and to bring in new ways of doing things and i think in this new planetary culture we need to t learn that this is where solution will come from it's not coming from the biases that we've inherited from millennia of cultural programming you know that's not where it's going to come from preach yeah <laughs> and here comes prescriptions with all yeah, there you go. we're we're the solution you need right now <laughs> yes yes there will be at least in society where herbs are in the water fountains i know it yes <laughs> Koji stuff for everyone. <laughs> I was thinking about how you were saying um, we all have to realize, and everybody preaches this, that we're all connected, but it seems to me like, and I think, I can't remember if it was Fauci or somebody today on their fake little briefing after two months, um, he made a point of saying, they were talking about how everyone needs to wear the mask to protect everybody else and that you have to think of how we're all connected and it's so obvious and he said look this virus started in one place and it took out the whole planet so what more do you need to see to see that we are all connected one thing can touch all of us and it does, and it did it silently without anyone even knowing it was coming. Um, that to me just hits to the core of my heart of, yeah, like technology or not, we're really this far apart. We're 
we're a virus apart, we're a, a molecule of something apart. And it's affected all of us the same way. So that means we're all the same. We're all dealing with the same thing. We all are on the same level when it comes to the things that really matter. And those essential workers, I hope we find a way to elevate to elevate their place because I hope people don't forget that had they gotten sick or not been able to go to work, where would we all be? Where would we all be if the grocery stores had never opened? If the places that did continue to send take out food had never stayed open. If everything, every single person had stayed home, all the people who gave you the free food that you waited in your car for, the people who were at the gas station so you could fill up that car, where would we all be if none of those people showed up? Like, where would we be? We didn't need all the people at the top to keep the world going. We needed all the people that were at the bottom of the pyramid to keep the world going. Mm -hmm. And once all the people at the bottom of the pyramid freaking wake up and realize that we have the power, then somebody will brainstorm us into a really great protest <laughs> and we'll take over <laughs> this place. <laughs> Hopefully do it right, or at least try another way. Sure, we'll screw up again. The planet's, what, 300 billion years old? I really think there were a lot of other societies that petered out before us. <sighs> Anything else? Thank you all, all for all. Oh, no. It's the first time you glitched the whole time. What did you say? <laughs> I was just saying, take it away. Thank, thank you all for all your hope because I think we all kind of are echoing a similar message. And whether it's in our own small spheres through this podcast or for any of our listeners out there, share with us, you know, what gives you hope and what some of the things that you're brainstorming because this is what will create everything that we're talking about. So just thank you guys for the conversation. Thank you everybody for listening and let's get through it together. Thank you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in until next time. Salud.